Good morning slash afternoon to our loyal listener. Welcome to your dog's best life. <laughs> it is the middle of the week. We have made it this far. Um, we are on day 6,394 <laughs> of the COVID nightmare. Nightmare. Uh, the gift that it, keeps on giving. It appears that the murder hornets have taken a back seat out of politeness. However, I did hear that Plague Squirrel is making a uh, surge to the forefront. I heard about that, and I'm like, dude, we have plague prairie dogs up in northern Arizona all the time. All the time. This is not news. It's, you know, it's at this point, frankly. Any bad news is good news? Is that what it is? It's a known thing? I I really am considering making a 2020 bingo card, because there are just some things that are too bizarre for words. And we haven't even done the election let yet. Oh my God! Wait until that happens. I'm gonna pretend you didn't say that. <laughs> just you just know that's gonna be a shit show. There's just there's just no. It's gonna I, you be. Know, it's gonna be such an epic. If we were actually allowed to leave the country, <laughs> which as Americans we aren't anymore, but Canada, but. <laughs> If we were, I would want to leave just to watch it from the outside and see oh, what yeah. other people are thinking and, and saying. Um, <laughs> Fred just shakes her head and cry. But meanwhile, <laughs> I'm just going to, yeah, we'll just sit here with our stacks of toilet paper and Lysol and see, oh, nice. see what the world brings. Speaking uh, of which. Speaking of which, what's going uh, on? I mean, other than nothing, what else? Yeah, other than vast (laughs) amounts of staring at the wall. Um, Yeah, no, my puppies are going to their homes this week, most of them, uh, half of them. So things are going to get quieter and more sane, and then I'll get sad. Uh, (laughs) I'm sure that's a huge thing to be missing is all the wee babies. Well, and it's like last week, I'm like, is it eight weeks yet? Can they go now? What about now? Can they go now? And then they go, and I'm like, I want them back. It's It's, it's parenting at its finest, honestly. What about you? What you got going down? Oh, my God. So this is just, just so much life. It's just life. So I had classes starting Saturday, this past Saturday, and I have classes starting to, well, I should probably know. It's either today or tomorrow. That's kind of embarrassing. I think tomorrow. And as I'm starting my classes and I've got all these things about COVID and we're going to be super safe and only two per people per class and, you know, I'm being all safe and being right and masks and everything. As I'm like, okay, we're getting to that. Because people make that decision to join a class kind of right up until the last second. Uh-huh. That's when the New York Times and the Washington Post or one of those quote-unquote fake news sources that no one believes that everybody knows is true. It's like, Arizona is number one in the world for COVID cases. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, frankly, like, though, uh, that they're behind the times. Florida has now surpassed us. I love courage in people. <laughs> people will be going, let's go out in public and train dogs. And um, oh, yeah, it's just... Well, it's but the, the factor there. that, that yeah. isn't taken into consideration for a lot of these places around the country and like I'm trying to explain this to my boss's boss because she's very concerned about the state of Arizona and I'm trying to explain to her that yeah no it's real bad I mean it's real real bad but here's the thing 
nobody fucking cares. <laughs> Just going around. Like if if I could post a video outside my window right now, people are going about their day like no yeah. big deal. Yeah, there's it's no less same traffic. Old, same old. If, if no. there weren't laws mandating masks, when I was going to the grocery store before the laws mandating masks, two thirds of the people were like, ah, "I can't catch it because I'm magic," and I'm like, yep. "Dude, do you not understand?" But I was like, "You know what? I'm not even gonna get into the whole we should right. teach science in schools thing." So yeah. So yeah. anyway, so my class. The world is still burning, and we are still yeah. functioning within it. And our mountain is just barely on fire, though. That's the good news. Our mountain that is, is mostly, very good news. mostly out. And they say the little bitty town on top, but it's closed till November. So I feel bad for those businesses up there. Yeah. And uh, we might be getting a monsoon storm to my south. It looks like I just had to let my border collie in because she was hearing faraway thunder and the world is ending. So Yeah, that happens that's, regularly here. That's her. So today's topic actually is a little timely. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we'll touch a little bit on human psychology too, kind of like last week's did, because human. Di- I mean, there is no magic line between animals and humans, and so psychology is psychology. Uh, today we're going to talk. Everybody's dealing with it right now. Everybody's dealing with it. To, you get in your car and you have a little bit of a stress, and suddenly you're like screaming at your spouse. Or I'd like to look at the divorce rates for the this year. Yeah. Yeah. It- or, you know, that little inconvenience at work is now a giant inconvenience and all of your coworkers are awful and, you know, pretty much they're out to get you from so the that, beginning. So that is called trigger stacking or the layers dress model, depending on kind of your overview of it and which dog trainer's advice you're going to follow. We're probably going to use both words and we're probably going to define or terms. We're going to define them slightly differently. And Well, and here's the thing is I... I, from what you had explained to me previously, I feel like they are two distinct things. Yes. However, as we interpret them. So with apologies to the people who actually coined these terms, if we screw it up, it's entirely Emily's fault. Oh, I was going to say it was your fault. Son of a bitch. The person who speaks first wins. Damn it. (laughs) Um, So they, to me, they define as, two roads to the same destination yes. but i do think it's important to to explain them but also trigger stacking mentally sticks in my head better it's a phrase that rolls off the tongue it, like so if i slip up at some point during this and use it incorrectly it's just lazy brain um mm. kicking in because yeah. it just makes and and that's the phrase i've been using forever Right. I just, yes, I just, and I do tend to use that over the layer stress model just because it's two words instead of three and I'm tired. So let's, let's start with the lesser, the lesser known. So the layer stress model was, I don't want to say defined, but came into being by whom? Uh, Jay Jack and Chad Mackin. I can't, I don't know which one. So apologies to the other one. You got credit for something you didn't do. Um, <laughs> there might have been a contribu- contributing factor there. You don't know. Yeah. I listened to the podcast for a long time. And when I just Googled it now, it might be Chad Mackin. It could be Jay Jack. It could be one or the other. And they both use the term. And so I'm going to define the term kind of as they define it. But if I screw up again, it's Emily's fault. Agreed. So the way the way it looks at it is the layered stress model is it looks all the way back at everything that's occurring in your life 
Um, and of course, this all comes down, we're talking about dogs, but dogs, humans, just interchange the terms. So let's say you have a dog and it's a high drive dog living in a household that doesn't fulfill its mental and physical needs. And on top of that, you've got inconsistent handling of the dog. You've got one owner who screams at the dog randomly and the other dog who doesn't scream at the dog randomly. And then you've got a situation where the dog gets yelled at occasionally for doing the thing, but not always for doing the thing. So the dog is always living in a slightly um, heightened state of arousal and frustration and inability to control their environment. So we would consider both of those first two things to be layers of stress. So the first layer is I'm a high drive dog in a sedentary house. I'm a dog who needs lots of mental stimulation and I'm not getting it. And I'm a dog who can't control their environment and has no understanding of where outcomes come from. So you've got three layers of stress already happening with this dog. And then let's say the dog is, we know the dog is slightly fearful of strangers. And so a stranger walks in, we've already got three layers in our layer cake of stress. Now we've got a fourth, the stranger gets up and says, I'm great with dogs and reaches for the dog and gets bitten. And yeah. that so is it's, what it's, we consider a layer stress model. So it's one of those things where it is latent, long-lasting, multi-layers of continual stress on the dog um, that eventually lead to an, ev- an event happening where, you know, there's a bite or a reaction. Correct. And if those, and if we were to remove those first three layers, if, if, so instead of simply when we were, if we were training this dog under this model, instead of simply saying, well, don't let idiots reach for your dog, we could say, well, let's meet your dog's emotional needs. Let's meet its physical needs, its mental needs, and let's be consistent in our training. Just removing those first three layers might be enough where now the dog is like, okay, the stranger can reach for me now because... Now I don't have these underlying issues and I'm, I feel better across the board. So I'm much more welcoming of the stranger. Whereas, whereas the inciting trigger is the stranger, but that, that thing is the fifth thing in the list of the things that the dog doesn't like, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. And so it's more of a, this this is where sometimes you see the you know the child bites where they go it, it just happened out of nowhere he didn't give any signs like i had no idea the dog was capable of this um because there's been a lot of things going on for a lot of time and if we wanted to equate this to um i don't know the world <laughs> How right we're now all feeling <laughs> You know, this is this right is <laughs> this is why, frankly, like if you find yourself getting out of the shower and sitting on your bed in a towel for three hours these days, this is why it's not a failing on your part. Like there's a lot going on and whether it affects you directly or not, you take on that level of stress and it's there in the back of your brain. Um so, you know, we've got the global pandemic, at least at least here in America, things we have going on, the global pandemic. We've got, you know, locally speaking, the fires were burning. Um, we've had social and racial injustice protests going on. We've got 
increased tension in our government and our leadership. Um, you know, we've got a lot of incidences of unemployment and job insecurity and job uncertainty. Um, and so even if you are still able to work from home, receiving a paycheck, middle-aged, white male and or female, um, who doesn't live anywhere near the fires, like it's all still there in the ether and it's all taking up space in your brain. And so when you try to cram one or two more things in there with, you know, that project for work that needs to get done and that deadline that's coming up or, you know, that unexpected bill that you just really don't have the, the resources for right now, those things all of a sudden become way more of a problem because you just don't have the mental and emotional capacity to handle them the way you normally would. A lot of that bandwidth has been given over to, you know, the world burning around you. Exactly. Yes. And that, so that would be what we refer to as layered stress model. Right. Whereas trigger stacking is in, in our, and again, this is our, our interpretation of it. If this is not exactly what it was meant originally by, I wrote it down. That doesn't mean I have the piece of paper in front of me. <laughs> I believe <laughs> that Grisha Stewart kind of is yes. the person who... That is the name you told me earlier. Yeah, who's, who either coined the term or utilized the term enough that it became kind of common vernacular in the dog training industry. And in, in, that, in her model, what it is, is it's much more about thing after thing after thing compounding right now. And the example I always use with my students in class is imagine you're at work and you had a crappy day. You just got off the phone with a shit client and your boss screams at you and you're, you're ticked off and you have to stay late and you get in your car and you get cut off in traffic and almost involved in a car accident and you come home and your spouse says one tiny little thing about what you wore that day or why isn't there <laughs> right why is you went this to work in that done? and you completely lose your shit that is trigger stacking now normally that the thing that your spouse did would not cause you to become a raving psychopath but it, it's at the end the tale of all of these other things that have been triggering you all day long and that is kind of a known psychological thing yeah. And again, we see it in dogs. So that's and we see it in, in humans. <laughs> well, as, you know what I was going to say is, <laughs> you know where you've seen it? You've all seen it. Everybody's seen it. I would put money on the fact that everybody's seen it unless you're a hermit in the middle of Montana or something. That little kid at the store who says, can I have that you know, package of Oreos and mom says no. And then they completely melt into a puddle of screaming insanity on the floor. That's not a spoiled rotten child. That is literally the last straw in a string of things that that child had no control over and just couldn't anymore. And if biting were an option to that child, would <laughs> probably <be> <laughs> do it. Yes. Um, and it's it happens so frequently to all of us um, without even realizing it, you know, you just kind of get to that point where you're like, why do I want to stab things today? 
over and over again frequently. <clears throat> and yeah, it's, yeah. you know, and then the next day you're like, oh, I'm fine. It's good. It's all good. Um, I mean, maybe not this year, but generally speaking. <laughs> well, because we have the layered stress model on top of trigger stacking right now. And so... <laughs> we got it both going on. This is absolutely true. <laughs> Y'all, this is no joke. You be nice to yourselves because it is rough out there. Um, yeah. But yeah, so there are there are two different things going on. And it's hard also if you're looking from the outside and all you see is that end behavior. Um it's really easy easy to handle it wrong. Um, yes, which, or misattribute it. Or misattribute know. it. Or, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. To say, oh, you know what? That dog is dog aggressive or dog reactive um, as opposed to that dog just couldn't handle one more piece of shit today and the other dog came at him way too strong. Like, there, there are times I think in dog training that it can be um, a factor you know as far as behavior being misattributed um, you know you get especially if you have a dog say you have a dog coming in for like a remote um, evaluation so they put the dog in the car and, and bring it to you and you're supposed to evaluate um, let's just say dog reactivity so, you know, the dog doesn't travel in the car very often. So, you know, when it's at home, it's not wearing a collar, just kind of has free roam of the mountainside. And so, okay, they have this thing that they want to work on. So they grab the dog. The people are acting weird because they're already stressed out. They grab the dog. They put a collar on it. He never has to wear a collar. Um, they put him in the car. The dog never has to ride in the car. The car is weird. It's moving. It makes them feel kind of nauseous and icky. Um you know, and the owners are, you know, clearly stressed out. They get out, they go someplace new, um, dogs on a leash, dogs never on a leash. Um, things smell funny, but it's not allowed to sniff anywhere because the owners are nervous. He's trying to get familiar with his surroundings. The owners won't let him. He's really got to pee, but he doesn't know where to pee because he can't sniff and the owners won't let him sniff. So now he comes inside and he's slightly nauseous and he's tweaked out about the way his owners are acting and he's got to pee, but he can't pee and everything smells weird. And now there's another strange person there. And oh my God, who the fuck is this dog in my face? Yep. And, and now, now the is the dog reactive or is the dog just had enough for the last hour and needs a break like so that it's you know savvy dog trainers obviously don't allow that sort of thing to happen or at least take it into consideration but there's a lot of non-savvy dog trainers out there <laughs> yeah yes and the other thing is is that I think owners often it's very easy to miss it's very it's just the same way it's easy to miss without with our spousal units and people living in our own homes where we forget that they too are struggling through their day and have crappy bosses and shitty things happening to them and they should come uh -huh. home in a perfect mood and they don't the same things occur with our dogs and the, the example I always love to tell people is let's say you have a happy golden I always like happy golden and your happy golden loves every single person and every single dog it's ever met because it's a happy golden. And you take that happy golden and you go to a street fair. And every single person who sees your happy golden runs up to your happy golden and pets your happy golden. And, 
and every dog comes running up to your golden. Some have manners and some don't have manners, but he's pretty cool about everything. And about four hours later, your golden nails somebody right on the hand. Just uh-huh. nails them. And you're like, what the hell? Well, I don't care how friendly you are. No one walks down a New York City street shaking hands with every stranger they meet. That is, that is a ludicrous yep. idea to believe that any dog or any human being should be asked to endure that. On top of that, the dog is on a six-foot leash and can't escape. And we condition the dog to believe that this is their life, that if you see a stranger, you should be friendly to the stranger. And the dog is, is exhausted. I mean, there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with the end of the party being in a grumpy mood. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing. We we continually, when we take our dogs out in public, we continually expect them to be like, uh, like you're at your your in-laws at a holiday party and you have to meet the entire extended family, only you haven't been married long enough to tell them to fuck off yet. So you have to be polite. And there's 112 people in the extended family. And great aunt Ruth is the center of attention because she's 112 this year. And so (laughs) we have to be extra careful about that. And you have to do it for four hours. Only you have to do that every day. Yeah. And then we, we wonder why they, you know, get so they don't want to go out in public or they get so they don't want to say hi to people. Um, I don't, I, I don't know. I think we we set our, our dogs up for failure a lot of times. This is one of those, like, let them be dogs. Like, no, your dog shouldn't be an asshole for sure. And you definitely do not advocate letting them, you know, run around and bite small children on a regular basis. Fine, on any basis. Oh, like, what do you mean on a regular but, basis? <laughs> like, occasional child biting. Totally cool. Go for it. <laughs> We've all met. Never mind. Anyway, but at the same time, they don't have to, they don't have to have any sort of social interaction. And here's the other thing I wish people would get really, really comfortable with. No, my dog does not want to be pet right now. No, my dog doesn't want to see you. Because if you have your dog out in public, it automatically becomes community property for some reason. Um, And like, I'm very lucky my dog, you know, doesn't have a problem and usually initiate social interaction. But if she didn't for some reason, I'm also comfortable enough saying, mm, she's had a long day. She's not really feeling it right now. Thank you. Um, and it, people need to do that. They need to be able to feel like they can say, my dog doesn't want to say hi and not care if society as a whole thinks that their dog is rude or mean or whatever. Like, Advocate for your dog. Advocate for your dog. You are your dog's best hope of getting through the day without wanting to bite someone, just as they are your best hope for getting through the day without wanting to bite someone. (laughs) Like, they do that for us. We should be able to do it for them. Um, But it's hard because, you know, again, society speaking, we have this thing that muzzles mean your dog is vicious and if your dog doesn't want to say hi you're a horrible person and so is your dog like that somehow is the message that society receives um and that yeah and what i so what i do when i have a dog who when i have a client come in and their dog is a little sketched by strangers or other dogs but generally strangers the very obviously the very first thing I do is is do muscle muzzle conditioning, 
and I, I don't even, not even, I don't even care if the dog has zero chance of ever biting. I mean, I don't care if the dog is like never, ever going to bite somebody. I do it because I call it the stupid people avoidance system. Because if a person sees a muzzled dog, generally, not every time, but generally, they are going to at least somewhat show a little more space to that dog and give the dog the need, the space it needs without you have an advocate because people feel very uncomfortable and I don't know why I, I I'm naturally a bitch so I don't have a problem with this but other people aren't and they don't they really do struggle with the idea that your dog is not community property yeah. and and the idea that we have a right to run up to some stranger's dog and pet and coddle and and fluff with their face we don't do that with other people's children or husbands so don't do it with their dogs I just, well, I, I, I mean, don't understand. Well, you probably do with other people's husbands, but you know, that it, might be the reason you got slapped. Could it be. just, it just depends. I mean, <laughs> real sorry, Lisa Bonet, but if uh, Jason Momoa walks down the street, I'm walking up and fluffing his face. Hilarious <laughs> to it. You will deal with the consequences after. Now you're welcome um, to lust at, at afar. That is totally yeah. kosher. That's totally Well, wild. and you know, and then we do the whole... Oh, well, tell him that he's got, you know, he's on medication for a skin disease or tell him that he's oh, contagious God. or tell him that <laughs> like all that. of these, all Lies of these excuses. to make you feel better about just advocating. Yeah. Instead of just saying it's not your, no, no, he doesn't want to say hi. He doesn't, you know, like he's comfortable with me, not you. Like, yeah. No, I, I, yeah. I feel like it's missing an educate, like a, a chance to educate the public. And yes, I realize the average dog owner is not their job to educate the public. But at the same time, like, it'll make your life better and your dog's life better in the end if people understand that that's not okay. Well, and the do the average dog owner is part of the public. I mean, the people running up to your dog are probably dog owners. Mm -hmm. they're probably they probably have dogs at home and and so please don't be part of the problem a dog is not community property the only exam the only time i i will approach a dog that i see obviously outside of the classroom setting which okay then then they are community property but is a puppy and only if the owner gives me absolute permission Mm -hmm. because it's a puppy and they probably need it and honestly it's a puppy okay it's a puppy so but well and you know here's the thing like adult if, dogs no if you're joe schmo and you see an adorable dog out in public which is pretty much any dog out in public and you would really like to smush its face or love on it or touch it or anything here's what you do you smile at the dog and the owner and then you go wow your dog is amazing slash cute slash adorable slash really well behaved and if they say thanks you go you're welcome and you keep walking yes. and if they go thanks you can say hi if you want then you can go say hi because i guarantee right. you that like people who know their dogs and know that you know that interaction would be appreciated have no problem saying you know, go yeah, go ahead. ahead. And if they don't, or they're unsure, or they don't like people and don't want to have to have a fake conversation with you while you pet <laughs> their dog, they're going to leave it at that. And that's how you, that's how you know, like, I don't know, it's just. And it doesn't put the onus and, and 
pressure on the pet owner to say no to you because that is a very difficult thing for people to do. It is. So I, I actually really like, because I was terrified you're going down the road. I'm like, where is she going? No. No, but, no, no. Like, no, it's, it's... <laughs> it was great because that's exactly, because one of the things that I've been really struggling with is everybody's training their children now to ask people if they can pet yes. their dogs. And I'm like, yes. stop it. Yeah, you, you, your children shouldn't be running helter skelter up to strange dogs. We, we don't ask, can we, I go pet your child? It's a, it's, I'm sorry. I, I don't like to equate dogs with children a lot, but dude, don't run up to strange dogs. Don't advocate for your children to run up to strange dogs any more than you want strangers running up to your children. If you think it's cool to have some random person come up and say, Oh, your kid's really cute. Can I pet her? Nah, not cool. Don't do it. Yeah. Don't it'll get do you it. arrested. Don't do it with the dog either. I mean, you well, shouldn't be advocating to your children either here's the to thing. ask permission constantly in, a, <laughs> Can in, a, I... in an out-in-the-world environment. Now, again, if they're in your house, if you're in the well, house, yeah, that's, that's totally different. But I'm saying just walking down the street, let people walk their bloody dogs down the street without being bothered. You should think, the general public should think of, can I pet your dog in the same category of, does this dress make my butt look big? <laughs> Exactly. You can't, there is no There's right no answer good there. Way. There's no good way to answer that. They're gonna say they're gonna say what you want to hear, whether that's what they feel or not, because they're not stupid and they'd like to make it through the through the day in one piece. Like, stop asking that question. Start complimenting, and see then see what happens. It's called a conversation. We used to have them. Yeah. Well, um, and, and that's because it's so, so like so. So of my dogs, and granted, I don't, I, part of me can be pretty arrogant about this because I live in a mountaintop and no one walks by and pets my dogs. It's just not a thing. <laughs> and I don't walk my dogs around on leashes in town. So, but when I'm at the dog spot or in public or wherever, and I have one of my dogs with me, there's only one of my dogs, honestly, who are absolutely 100% uh, the dogs I take in public. There, are, there's only one of those public dogs that I take out that would absolutely think that no matter who you are, you are the coolest person they've ever met. Yes. The rest of them will either lunge at you and try to eat you, which is Ruby, and I got her used, and we're working on that. But that's where she's at now. I got her used. <laughs> yeah, I, I always am disturbed when I hear dog trainers are like I can't take my dog in public I'm like dude you're a freaking dog trainer train your damn dog mm -hmm. so yes she's being trained but we are in the middle of a pandemic which makes it a little complicated so anyway I have Ruby and then I have Dyson Cody or Dyson Tag and Tag is kind of kind of a little weirded out a little bit by strangers she she kind of went through a stranger danger period kind of right as this pandemic hit and we've really been working hard to undo that, but now she's a little contextual where if they're at the dog spot, they're totally safe, but out in the street, well, they could be a murderer. And in her defense, probably one yeah. in two or five, what, why one in 100,000 are. Dice, on the other hand, has always been a little skeevy about people. He's gotten a thousand times better, but unless he jumps on you, which is abhorrent behavior, he's unless he walks up to you and, and starts smashing himself against your legs, I don't permit him to be touched by anybody. And even yeah. in that case, I, I prefer him not to do that. So I, I generally pull him away. And because he's just, he's always been what I refer to as an ass biter. <laughs> as you turn around to leave. Yes. Once the pressure, he's so worried about you in his face that he's like, oh, you're scary. You're scary. And then you turn around and he's like, oh, less scary. Snap. Get away from me. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's actually, that's a really. <laughs> 
common thing for dogs who are a little more insecure to do, right? Like, yeah. like polite me knows I need to behave in the face of this thing that I truly, 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 truly hate. But then that thing turned around and is not staring at me anymore. So now's my chance to reinforce my space and get it back. And right. So, and make sure you just make sure you keep right on walking. Yeah. And, so and especially because, if yeah. for hurting dogs, because, yeah. you know, because they use well, and then use their teeth. And so I've because because of that observed behavior that I again, he's used, I got him at two. When I saw that the, the first time he didn't bite anybody, but he he made it. His body language was very clear. I'm like, okay, you now have a six foot window bubble around you that no one yep. is allowed to permeate. And you can, he can leave his bubble and go to another human being. And he's gotten, like I said, he's gotten a, a hundred times better with that, but I still am super cautious about it. And, and luckily he's not, you know, part of it is, is you're doomed if you have a really cute dog. I mean, that does make mm-hmm. it tougher hold on i've got cody she's angry because there are vultures outside our windows we have these huge windows looking out over the valley and we're kind of perched on a cliff and so the vultures have all chosen to just they follow the contours of the mountain yeah so they're all torturing her by existing outside and soaring past so so that's the chirp that you just heard and earlier the squeaking is dice is amassing a pile of toys in this room for no reasons well, know. because you haven't chosen to play with any of the other offerings. That yeah, have so been he's, to he's you. amassing this huge pile. I've got six toys that have slowly migrated into the room that he would lay, he'd squeak randomly. And actually, I do have to say, in one of our other podcasts, I was listening to it, you'll like this. When you and I are talking, you must have puppies in the background crying. And I couldn't, I can't hear it when you and I are talking, but in the final recording, I could. So I was editing the final recording and I'm hearing this and I stop it and go running outside to see who, who's hurt. And I'm freaking out going, who's hurt? Which of my dogs is in here? No. So any weird noises you hear in the background is my dog squeaking a toy, my other dog barking and making a high pitched chirping noise because the vultures won't play with her or your puppies apparently crying and I can't hear it through my microphone but I did hear it on the final recording. It's less crying and more like WWF puppy smackdown. <laughs> Whatever it was, I'm hearing it and I'm like, "Oh, is there a dog?" So I I stop the recording and go running outside. Everybody's like, "Hi, what are you doing?" And I'm like, "Got no bleeding dogs." I'm like, "Oh, Okay, and then I did. I I rewound it. I'm like, oh, that's in the recording. So, and I assume no one else was going to freak out about that. It was so tiny. It was a very tiny noise because again, I would be listening for outside dogs, so no normal person would probably hear that. But anyway, it's just the part of the ambiance. That's what you get. (laughs) Between we've got like what fifty seven animals between the two of us, or some obscene number. So it's bound to show up in the podcast. So then, so we have these two methods of stress expression, right? Of right? explaining what the explaining the, the the end behavior that we're seeing, right? So one of them seems like so trigger stacking to me seems like okay that is for the most part preventable right like so if you know that your dog is prone to trigger stacking and you know what their triggers are you can work really really hard to minimize those correct whereas the stress layer theory that's kind of hard because some of that is just 
It's lifestyle. Life. Like, like if your dog has chronic pain issues from arthritis or an injury or whatever, you can mitigate that to the best of your ability, but at some level it's always going to be there. Or if your dog has underlying underlying anxiety issues, you can, you know, you can medicate for that, absolutely, and I, I highly recommend you do. But, you know, again, that's not necessarily something you can eliminate entirely. So there are certain certain triggers, I don't want to say triggers, certain stress layers in that model that you're just never going to be able to mitigate entirely. Right. So what you do instead is then you pay, let's say you do have chronic pain and you've done everything in your power to mitigate that pain. The dog is on pain medication. You're doing whatever voodoo practice that you believe works. You, you've addressed it as best you can, but we all know that if you're dealing with older chronic type bone pain or hip dysplasia or something like that, that even in human beings, you can't, it's a very difficult situation to mitigate. So now you just know that all the rest of the triggers in this dog's life are kind of one layer down. So instead of maybe having being fine with the kids coming over and fine with the kids screaming, but not fine with the kids running into them, which they shouldn't be, honestly, let's be fair. fair. Uh-huh. Let's say that though. Now the dog is saying, okay, the kids are fine coming over. The kids are no longer fine screaming. And if they run into me, I'm taking a face off. So uh-huh. then you have to make you have to do something about those, those last couple of triggers. So I think it comes down to part of it is paying attention to not just the trigger, not the thing we're trying to redo is refocus on all the things that came before that trigger. Yes. Some dogs just trigger on the thing. I mean, Ruby, it just takes one little thing and because Ruby's already there, she's already in a heightened state of arousal 24 seven, all the Uh other layers of dare. And I'm going to just call those layers crazy town because that's what she is. She's genetically predisposed. She was raised to be predisposed. She's got a hair trigger. So any little thing goes from her, for her from zero to to a thousand. So in her case, yes, we deal with the actual inciting trigger. So if, if the inciting trigger is a human being, then we start counter conditioning human, human beings. If the inciting trigger is me trying to pull a sticker out of her fur, not her body, even her fur, which then makes her wheel around and snap and bite me, then we deal with that. But we also are dealing with all the underlying issues. Is she getting enough exercise? Is she getting enough mental stimulation? How can we better help her understand that she does not control the things in her life that she kind of thinks she might, but she doesn't. Um, for her, a lot of frustration. She has a lot of frustration, and it stems from an obsessive ball disorder <laughs> <laughs> where she thinks that if she has a ball in her mouth, that that's how you trigger ball throwing. Ah. And so what we've done instead is we've really kind of created a very straightforward window open, window closed scenario, at least for when I'm home, I can't train the spouse, but I can train the dog. So in in my case, she knows that even if she comes running up to me with a ball, that will not be thrown unless I use the cue, which is ready, ready, ready. Oh, it, speaking, side story on this one, of this kind of falls into the category of management always fails, right? <laughs> yeah. I have a, I have a border collie, same sort of thing, like, we don't, I don't throw toys in the house. I don't throw balls in the house. Like I, I actually refuse to play toys with him in the house because he just gets 
obsessive. He has toys that he can play with the other dogs with toys. He's quite happy entertaining himself, tossing toys around, but he gets nothing from me. Right. So I had a friend over, um, this week and the dogs were out and she was just hanging out with the dogs and I had stepped out of the house for half a second and I come back into the house and I see her just as she throws the toy and like as it's leaving her hand I went no why would you do that and she like whips around and looks at me she's like what he brought it to me and I'm like oh no you just opened you've opened the seventh gate of hell and all the demons are pouring forth there's not enough salt in the known universe for this and then she had to spend the next, you know, three or four hours going, no, I don't want to play. No, I don't want to play. No, I don't want to play. I said, yeah, but you threw it one time. And actually now for the next seven years, every time you come over, yep. you are the person who threw the toy. Yep. Um, so I just thought that was funny. I'm like, <laughs> you know what? Because he won't do it with me. We've gotten to the point now where he'll he'll bring me one toy maybe and then go, oh, yeah, that's right. You don't, you don't listen. Um, <laughs> You're not trained. <laughs> You're not trained, but it took like half a second with a stranger, and now it's a, it's an issue again. But I just sorry, I totally sidetracked on that one. But <laughs> no it was worries. just funny because it was it was like management always fails. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. So especially with visitors and spouses and children. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was wait everybody but us really. <laughs> and what's it, well, and what's so funny is that like all right, dog training people, if a breed with obsessive type tendencies brought you a ball and shoved it in your lap and then backed up and stared at you excitedly you would probably go yeah i'm not i'm not entertaining that however average pet owner cute dog brings ball shoves it into lap they go oh they want to play yeah yeah you know and so it's just it was just funny to me like how how the same behavior could be interpreted two different ways but to what you were saying that is that obsessive need to ball or play or, yes. you know, thing finish, finish that behavior loop is a stress level. It is. It's a frustration. It's a very, for her, she's, that seems to be where she spends a lot of her mental bandwidth is, is trying to control the uncontrollable, which is trying to control when I will throw a ball. And cause play is, is she was permitted at her former home to, it sound, it feels like, according to her, play about 23 out of 24 hours every single day. Uh. And because of that, I mean, you go outside and still, you go outside and she goes and finds something. She goes and finds something. And outside, there are, we have rules for playing as well, but it's with the ball that comes from the inside, not the ball that comes from the outside. It's yeah. the inside ball that comes with me when I go outside. So if she brings me something, it's like I'm not playing with this thing. Most of the things, honestly, shouldn't be outside anyway. They were kidnapped. So <laughs> they're victims of <laughs> Held Billy. against her. Yeah, yeah, they're held against her. And I go outside and I see stuffing. And I'm like, ooh, there's been a murder. Now I need to find out <laughs> where the corpse is. And <laughs> what, what just happened? What creature was Billy, Billy the Kid kidnapped out into the environment on some foray into the house? So it triggers stacking. In all of these. So I think what this comes down to as a pet owner, because of course it's hard to know. It's hard to know. How how do I know if my dog has has experienced triggers if I'm not super familiar with reading body language, if my dog is very subtle with the body language, or things along things along those lines. 
or if, if their needs aren't met in the home, or if they've got underlying frustrations in the home that are already, that are contributing to having the ability to effectively hit triggers faster. And the, the answer has to be, unfortunately, you got to pay attention to your dog. That's, it's a, you have to treat your dog like a study subject and, um, and pay attention and you, you'll see that there are certain situations that trigger behaviors that illustrate to you that the dog is, is reaching saturation on their stress level or their excitement level. I mean, excitement also leads to frustration, which can lead to dog bites too. Frustration is what causes dog bites, but frustration can come both from over-enthusiasm and from fear. So we, we have to look at it from both directions, if that makes sense. Yeah, so I think what it is is it's important for dog owners and trainers to realize that there are some basic emotional states in a dog that are a layer of stress. Um, so it's not always a specific event or, you know, happening. So, you know, arousal is a layer of stress. Excitement is a layer of stress. Um, obviously, fear is a layer of stress. Uh, but just because it's, you know, typically what we would call a more negative state of mind um, doesn't mean that the more positive ones are not also a layer of stress. So, you know, that super excitement to go for a car ride or go chase the ball or, you know, that, well, we've seen it too, the level of play, right? Two dogs playing, they're wrestling, they're racing, they're going, they're tumbling. You're just having a great old time for, you know, five, 10 minutes, whatever. And then all of a sudden they're just there's a fight. Full-on dog fight. You're like, where the hell did that come from? Yeah. Well, it's still stressful. You know, it's all fun and games until it's not. Yeah, the arousal went too fun. high. And, <laughs> no. Yeah, the arousal went too high and and somebody acted inappropriately. And yeah. so one of the cues that I, so I guess then we had to come down to what are, what do we do when we, A, how do we recognize it when our dogs have achieved a level of stress that now causes them to either make poor decisions or to uh, become dif more difficult for whatever reason to, to work with. And I'm going to always kind of start with, can your dog obey a basic command? If your dog is over aroused for whatever reason, whether that is layered stress model, whether that is trigger stacking, whether it's just wheat, where it's too exciting, the very, the very first place that you always want to check with your dog, check in with your dog. If you can't read all the body language and you're not sure of the triggers, ask your dog to do the most heavily reinforced, easiest behavior that they have. For a lot of dogs, it's shake. For some dogs, it's sit. Uh, for dice, it's what I call squirrel, which is sit pretty. Uh -huh. If your dog cannot offer that behavior, you are in trouble. You need to get the hell out of Dodge. Your dog yep. is telling you something. Your dog is saying, this is too much for me. I cannot function. That would be the equivalent of asking you to do a basic thing. Who's president? And you going, uh, you're, you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. You're in trouble. If, if you've ever gotten to that point in your life where you're like, I forgot how to make coffee. I made coffee every day of my life for the last 30 some years. And I forgot how to make coffee. That's when you know you need like 
a margarita and a beach stat. <laughs> stat. Like, that's got to happen. Yeah. And and you have to trust you have to trust that test is the other thing I will say is just because you don't think it's that stressful of a situation right doesn't mean your dog doesn't well cuz we um, don't know what's underlying we don't know what's going on in the in the background and and here in Arizona this is a perfect example and Emily is way familiar with this my dog people come into the vet all the time my dog's just not right we yeah. know what it is. It's valley fever. <laughs> yeah. Unless they were hit by a car, it is, in fact, valley fever. And it the, um, valley fever is a very localized fungal infection that happens in the southwest deserts of Arizona or of America. And it affects every part of the dog and human. It affects every animal. But dogs seem to get it in a much higher um they have a higher incidence of getting it and a higher incidence yeah. of complications from it. So whenever you see a dog who ADR ain't doing right, uh, because veterinarians did not go to English classes, <laughs> they went to vet school. <laughs> so a dog is ADR is a Valley fever dog until proven otherwise. And that, that little cue, that little tiny thing, which owners come in and they're like, eh, just, just isn't, something's not, I don't know. Something's off. That's yeah. where you need to be with your dog's behavior. And, yeah. and so you take your dog out and cause it, it could be just your dog isn't feeling well that day. It could be, it could be something you had no control over. You had no knowledge of maybe your dog ate a little too much grass and kind of feels pukey. Maybe your dog, you know, doesn't have, you know, has a little upper respiratory issue that you aren't aware of or caught some sort of viral something or has a GI issue or some tiny little fly-by-night bug that we all get and just isn't feeling it today. And you do the little test. Can you give me a high five? And your dog looks at you and looks away in circles or or the latency is really, really long. I mean, the, the, the distance between the cue and the and the behavior is called latency and you want the latency to be short. You want me to, if I say sit, I want my dog's butt on the floor. If I say sit and my dog kind of like stares vaguely off into space and then kind of remembers how Uh to sit, that's a cue. That's a clue right there. Something's up, something's going on and I need to deal with that. Now, and depending, depending on your relationship with your dog, the situation you're in and everything that came before, you can absolutely just deal with that sometimes with just a lot of treats and a lot of orientation towards you. But oftentimes I'm going to generally recommend you, you realize your dog is over threshold and you get your dog to a place where they're not under over threshold so that you can, you can get them to a place where they can start to think and then slowly bring them back into that situation and under better circumstances. Or just say like, that's my litmus test for trigger stacking or, stress layer and be like we're in the weeds and we got to go like i yeah. need to i need to out us of this situation yeah right now and and we're not coming back because you know yeah i can i can take right right um yeah it's and it's hard too because a lot of times those things happen when we are having a good time 
<laughs> yeah, we take so, our dogs in public. We're we're having a great day, and our dog's the center of attention, and things are going well. And all of a sudden, our dog is starting to look flat. And I think Billy's becoming a spoiled little brat. We're starting to get a storm here, and she's suddenly like at the sliding glass door. And I'm like, dude, you don't come in with rainstorms. Yeah, she's like, well, everybody else is inside. Yeah, if the sheep aren't inside, you don't come inside. Go protect your sheep. Or so, you know. The other thing that I see this happen, too, is in dog classes. People yes. have paid their money. Yes. They've carved out this time. They're determined that their dog is going to take this class. When, in fact, their dog needs remedial life 101 and is not comfortable outside of the living room. And you have some other things to worry about other than teaching your dog to, to heal. Yeah. Um. And that is yeah. often where you see people who are like, oh, no, he just needs to get used to it. Or, oh, he'll be fine. Don't worry. Or, you know, oh, he's right. just he's just nervous. And sometimes it is. But a lot of times it is you're you have a much bigger issue here. You have a much bigger issue. And frankly, you haven't paid me enough to address it in this setting. So <laughs> Make an appointment, come back, and we'll come talk about we'll it talk later. About it privately. Well, and the other thing is, is I think the other thing people have to understand, as a person whose bread and butter is, is classes, is the class format. That's where I, I, that's my thing is I like class formats. And for me, the beginner class is to get, to get everybody hooked on the idea of training, and then we go to the fun classes. But in that beginner class, and sometimes depending on your dog, even in the intermediate class, your job is not to, you're not teaching the dog anything in that class. Your dog is learning to behave in public in that class. Asking for much more than can you behave in public is often too much. That class is not the place to practice, is, it's, it's not the place to start to teach new behaviors. That is the worst place to teach a new behavior. Yes, your, your trainer will show you how to do the new behavior and they'll get a couple with your dog in that setting, but that's not the setting to train that behavior. The place where the work happens is at home, not the class. That hour that they, the trainer sets aside for you is to explain how to do the things and give you the fundamentals that you then take home and practice at home. Yeah. And unless, so I, I permit dogs in my class who are slightly reactive. I permit dogs in my class who are rowdy goobleheads. I, I permit those, if a dog is fearful, and they remain fearful through the entire first class, like underneath the chair won't come out fearful, we will generally move to a private situation. I'm not going to permit that dog to continue feeling that level of fear in my facility for more than a first class. Now, if they start coming out after the first, you know, after 45 minutes, they start creeping out and looking for food, then I might keep them in the class setting. But Again, because again, we don't know what kind of triggers they had that day. Maybe this is their first car ride. <laughs> um, Billy arrived at every single one of her classes nauseous because she hates the car. Uh -huh. So she arrived and so she's already, she's coming off the mountain, which for her is kind of, she's ambivalent about that, but she had to deal with the car. And as she practiced being nauseous more and more in the car, the car became a bigger and bigger deal for her in a, and more and more fearful. And the drive is 45 minutes long to my, the trainer that I was going to at the time. And we'd arrive and now she's nauseous. She had a shitty car ride, but now she's excited. And so she's got all these emotional turbulence and 45 minutes into the class, I'd finally have, she'd remember that I, I couldn't use treats because she was nauseous. 
<laughs> so, yeah, poor squirt nugget. Oh, and I went to the vet. I was kind of ticked off because I went to the vet and I said, hey, she gets nauseous. I need medications. And this vet, she says, well, she's going to keep changing weight. Oh. Well, okay. Can you give me a pill and do the fucking math? <laughs> Can you look at what it is I do for a living and maybe assume I can manage to figure out a drug dosage? I'm like, you're not handing me methamphetamine. You're not, you're handing me. Yeah. I was was pissed. I was not, but you know, it was a corporate vet. So there you go. Yeah. So anyway, (laughs) there you go. So all of this to say, as a human, we're going through this. If if the sound of your loved ones chewing makes you want to stab them with an olive fork right now, please understand that's normal. That's normal. And, you know, I don't recommend following through don't do with that, that it's against the law. impulse. It's bad for but, olive um, forks. Yeah. yeah. But time's all broken. It happens to the best of us. And... You know, take take a moment to look at your dog and consider if they might not be experiencing the experiencing. Wow, that was a really hard word for some reason. The same thing, um, yes. you know, in a, in a different situation. And make and make so so using the layered stress model. The absolute when I have people come in to for private training, when I have a person come in and they're dealing with problem behaviors that have already occurred, the very first thing we look at is lifestyle. Abs- that, is, that is the absolute first place that I start. I, I am committed to the idea that if your dog has a shit lifestyle, your dog has a shit life. And I, I, can't, I can't help your dog feel better if they're freaked out or understimulated or bored to death at home. And we have to start there and we have to meet our dog's needs. And as has been mentioned multiple times on this podcast already, that does not mean throw a ball for your dog 24 hours a day. That means meet them both with mental stimulation and regulated, sane, physical stimulation. Right. And it also means be consistent in your training. So... When I say consistent, I don't mean train every day. I'm the most inconsistent when it comes to timing, training on the planet. My dogs get like heel work once a month if I remember it. And, you know, I forget about the sheep for a month because it's too bloody hot. That's not what I'm talking yeah. about. I'm talking about if there's a rule in the house, the, how, the rule is this behavior always leads to this consequence. That behavior cannot sometimes lead to that consequence or most of the time lead to that consequence, or only lead to that consequence with certain people. The, the behavior always has to have a singular consequence, and that consequence has to be 100% on that behavior. And, and it's not about whether you're using punishment protocols, though those do cause more stress, or reward-based protocols. If, you're, if the dog doesn't know how to control their environment, if they don't understand what it is that causes consequences, whether they're good or bad, then that dog is, a, is completely adrift in their life and have no idea how to make things happen. Which and is also stressful. Incredibly frustrating. And so when I have a dog come in for private training, the, we, I have found so far that the biggest unmet needs for these dogs 
is consistency from the owners about rules and regulations. And again, I'm not talking about living in a military household. I'm talking about if I eat, do you get to stare at me? If I eat, do you get to climb on the table and eat my food? Those are rules. The rule is you do not get to do either. Not sometimes you get paid for that and sometimes you get yelled at for that. And it's a crapshoot. Good luck. Have fun with that. So that's the first thing. The second thing is a lot of these dogs have unmet mental needs. A lot of people are, are becoming really aware of the physical part. And so the ball throwing and going to dog parks, which I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole, <sighs> dog parks or doggy daycare, um, all these Lord of the Flies style free for alls for dogs. So they're tired. They're, they're uh-huh. great at getting these dogs tired or fit, however you want to look at it. But they suck at making sure that the dog mental needs are met and these dogs are bored mindless and tired and so they come that's up also with, not a great combination no then they come up with hobbies you know we have dogs who use the hobby i have a dog in training right now who has some anxieties but they're very minor they're not what i thought they were and her hobby is to run from window to window all day long barking hmm. and this is she just has no other hobby her her owners never trained her to do anything and takes her on a walk, you know, a cursory 30-minute walk once a day, and that's really her life. And I'm like, well, that's pretty terrible. So we're, I'm like, I told her, just go find a hobby. I don't care what it is. Find anything that looks like fun to train your dog and do it. It doesn't matter what it is. The dog needs mental stimulation. So start there. Make sure those needs are absolutely met because that right there might be enough to lower those first layers so that when you get to the triggers that we know our dog finds upsetting, like right now we've got a thunderstorm happening and so I've got several dogs who are thunderstorm phobic. That's a trigger. That's something I absolutely know for a fact that my dogs don't like. I can't right. I can't make thunderstorms go away. I've not found the ability. I, I can lock them in the bathroom and let them listen to John Cougar Mellencamp, but that doesn't work for all the dogs and I don't want seven dogs in there. So so I, I know that's that's a layer, but if I can meet all the rest of their layers, then knowing that that trigger exists means that right now I have, in a thunderstorm, I have two border collies laying at my feet, just hanging right. out. Um, and instead of running to me every time there's a little thunder boom outside. And because I meet their other needs. Now, if they had just spent the last three days inside climbing the walls, <laughs> the yeah. first thunderstroke would have been enough to have them jumping on my head. And well, I would have yeah. naturally gotten upset. Why are you jumping on my head? This doesn't normally bother you. But right. I, but I've, I've made it, I created a gap and I created layered, layers of pre-existing stress. And so when the trigger finally arrived, which it can't, I can't not make it arrive. It's thunderstorm season here in Arizona. It's going to thunder they're going to freak out. So instead of that, I make sure that all their other needs are met. They did herding yesterday. We did chasing the ATV yesterday. We did some training. And yep. so they're mentally fine for border collies. <laughs> well, and it's like, it's like on days that I take later herding. I mean, I live downtown Tucson. There is foot traffic several times an hour past my yard and my yard has a chain link fence. So, you can imagine there exactly. is there is a you know a significant amount of fence charging sometimes barking um that happens at my house despite 
my best efforts. Um, but on days where later goes hurting, people go by and she kind of pops up and either watches them or pops up and kind of half jogs to the end of the driveway and like, all right, as long as you keep walking, it's all right. Um, and on the weeks where we can't go do something like that, that is very mentally and physically taxing for her, well, then they all get to hear about it, right? Like <laughs> everybody gets to hear what a shitty dog owner I am when that happens. Exactly. Um, and yes, I am training it. Please do not send nasty grams. I am working on it. But I'm a human and She's life fine. happens. Yes. Um, so, but it it is, you know, those times when we can get these dogs out and give them safe, unique experiences and give them enriching activities um, that are good for their brains and their bodies, the rest of the world seems slightly less stressful to them slightly less um i don't know i lost the word <laughs> I'm like that's a long again. silent gap people yep. would be like is my radio working nope nope <laughs> please be patient with your dog if they have hypothyroidism because sometimes your brain just leaves in the middle of a thought i've heard that yeah yeah and that's what just happened so that's what that sounds like folks i, I call that a senior moment and i started getting them about 18 but, uh, but oh. yeah, but so, so just, you know, understand that if, and, and like you were saying, physical needs are not run the dog till their tongue's hanging out of their mouth. Like that's not always what is needed. Sometimes it's take them outside and train them for 10 minutes on a new behavior yeah. and you will get the exact same result. It, well, and I have this theory and I don't, I stole it from another trainer, but I, and I kind of believe it myself, but I don't know if there's any actual evidence on this. So I, I'm, a, I'm a runner, I was a runner, and runners get uh, an endorphin rush after they've run for a certain amount of time on any given run called a runner's high. And I don't, don't ask me, don't pin me to the wall on what the endorphin is, because I never got it. Uh, some people get it and some people don't. And I never, I got totally screwed and never, ever, yep. I got screwed. But anyway... There's no reason to believe that dogs wouldn't have it. And it makes sense, evolutionarily speaking, that you would probably want it for an animal that travels long distances at a fairly distant clip. And we know that wolves travel at a trot for, you know, 20 to 30 miles a day easily without a problem. And a trot is the most efficient gait for a dog and a horse and most animals. And there is no reason to believe that they don't get a little bit of a runner's high out of a trot. Sprinters uh -huh. don't get runner's highs. Uh, runner's highs come from quote unquote jogging, though runners hate that word. Sustained <laughs> low volume yes, activity. Exactly. Marathoners get it. And you get it for the, yes, exactly, for running slowly and long. I'm all about the slow, I'm very good at both, slow and long, very slow, very, very slow. And I was also pretty decent at very, very long. But so when I have a dog in who, like Ruby, uh, when I first got her, we spent time on the ATV and she actually had to be long lined to the ATV because I wanted her to trot. I didn't want her sprinting ahead, turning around and coming back because she'd go over arousal and attack the other dogs. And we just worked on, you are shackled to the ATV. We are going at a trot, not a gallop. And I'd let her sprint at the end uh, because it's funner. The other dogs have fun too. And by then she was usually tired enough and she was calm enough 
that because I wouldn't say tired because that is not her forte. I'd say she's she had entered a, a physiologic and probably mental state where the dogs taking off and running did not cause her to go over arousal and attack them. You could right. see her thinking it and her making better decisions, which of course I praised wildly. And now she can go on ATV runs without losing her mind. And I've considered multiple times getting a dog pacer or a slap mill at the dog spot specifically so I could put dogs into a trot and keep them there. Because I believe in the absence of all evidence to the contrary, that they can get that kind of relaxing endorphin Zen sort of feeling from that particular gait, from a trot, Mm -hmm. not from a Mm -hmm. gallop, not from a sprint, not from a walk, from a trot. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but um, anecdotally... It'd be an interesting study. Yeah, anecdotally, I believe it's true, and, and I'm going to roll with my own anecdotal preconceived notions. Because, I mean, you can you could measure cortisol yes. levels in yes. there. Yes, and I don't know what the... Saliva. This is embarrassing. I don't know what the runner's high chemical is. I don't know. Desperation and <laughs> dysphoria. <laughs> Pain and sweat. It's your brain's way of going. We're dying, but you don't need to know we that. We want it so. to feel good. So, any, so anyway, um, I, I do believe that we can lower stress by 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 starting there. Start with your dog's lifestyle, and then go. If your dog's lifestyle needs are met, is best. I mean, don't quit your job and become an ultra runner. I mean, we can meet them other ways. But yeah. once you've met your dog's natural needs for that dog that particular dog don't look at breed don't just look at your particular dog once you know that your dog now has an off button in your house which kind of tells you that now your dog has their needs met then you start paying attention to the triggers what's the thing that makes my dog upset and is the thing um like cody was just upset because there there were vultures all around the house and she couldn't get to them so that could be considered a trigger and you add to that we're in a thunderstorm that could be a trigger. Uh-huh. And so now, right now, her her key issue that she has in life is strange dogs. And so right now, if a strange dog arrived at my sliding glass door, granted, any other time she'd probably lose her shit too, but she'd probably be emotionally much more ready to start shit with a new dog in her current state than she would be if we weren't in the middle of a thunderstorm and if the vultures hadn't just cruelly taunted her by flying by windows. Right. So that's, that's kind of, that's where I'd kind of say we need to pay attention with trigger stacking is be aware of your dog. Some dogs, you'll never deal with this. Honestly, some dogs, you'll probably, they're just goobers and they're going to go through life pretty casually. But honestly, once you start really paying attention and really keying into your dog's body language and signs of stress, you will start to notice that, you know what? He gets a little flat when he goes to the vet. There you go. There's a sign of stress right there. Mm -hmm. Flat or gets, or gets super happy. He gets super, oh my God, all of a sudden he's a normally ambivalent about strangers, but when he's at the vet, he climbs me and he climbs other people and he's just, oh, he's so loving. He must love the vet. No, he's scared to death and that's how he's handling his yeah. stressors. He's, he's going with the groveling method of yes, self-preservation. get me the hell out of here. What does it yeah. take, people? Yeah, yeah, this place absolutely. Stinks. Well, and you know, too, the other thing I would tell people is, you know, keep an eye on things like, remember the whole day when you're looking at your dog's stress level? Yes. Um, because 
you know, like for my guys, if they spent the morning rushing the fence and barking at people for 10 minutes because I didn't feel like dealing with it. Um, and then they come back inside and they chill out and they do whatever. And then, you know, something else happens. You know, we go for a walk and there are people that they want to meet that they can't meet. And then we come back and then, um, you know, somebody comes over with their dog um, for a play date and they're playing hot and heavy and racing and going and having a great time and all of a sudden there's a dog fight you know on the surface it's like well what on earth caused that but if I look at the whole day and go oh we were up and then we were down and then we were up and then we were down and then we were up and we couldn't come back down right like so I guess try to take a more holistic look you know, if you if you have a situation with your dog where you've you know they've reacted or they've they've shown extreme fear or you know they've they've done something where you're like what the heck? Look at the whole day and look at the events as a like the events of that day of could this be a source of stress, good or bad? You know, because my dogs love charging the fence and yelling at people like. That's that's a fun activity for them. So, you know, if if I didn't know better, I might say, well, that that wasn't stressful. They they love doing that. They have a blast doing that. But it's still, it's still it is thing. still stressful. Yeah. It is a stressor. Yes. Um, so, you know, if you if you if your dog is having that, I want an Oreo tantrum meltdown moment. <laughs> look at their day and go, oh, you know what. I've had really crappy work week this week and they've been stuck in the kennel more than normal. And, um, you know, the Amazon man came and didn't deliver the bark box that they were expecting. And, um, you know, like just, I guess, just give yourself and your dog some grace right yes. now. And well, and also be super aware of the fact that it's not just what's going on in your dog's life. Your dog is keying into your life. So uh -huh. if you're already stressed, if whatever is happening in the universe is is affecting you, which you'd have to be dead for it not to be, it, it, you you are you are taking that home. And some dogs, it depends on your level of stress and how you handle your stress. But I know if we talk loud, because my house is incredibly quiet. Um, mm -hmm. My husband doesn't live in my house with me for most of the week. And so my house, I don't watch TV a lot. I don't listen to rock and roll music anymore. Um, I do it in my car. But in my house, my house is dead silent. And if my husband and I raise our voices for whatever reason, we, are, we don't have to be fighting. We can just be joking and being goofers. That freaks out the dogs. They're like, mm -hmm. oh my God, raised voices. We're all going to yep. die. And that serves as a trigger for them. Uh, moving is incredibly stressful. Boxes in the house. Appearance of boxes. Oh my God, why is there a box in my house? And, and just, if you're coming home every night and you're in a shitty mood because you had a shitty day and you just, maybe the car keys hit the deck a little louder or the table a little louder and your voice is a little higher or your body language is jerkier and less loose, that could be all it takes. And suddenly your dice keys in on every single one of those signifiers. And he, he is constantly reading my emotional state and if I so much look at him as look at him cross-eyed he's out of there he is he he amplifies it a thousand times and throws it back in my face which of course I immediately go bah and it turns into you know, a vicious cycle 
and you know what's hysterical is like with later I can yell it later all I want and she basically flips me the middle finger and I was like yeah okay whatever mom if I raise my voice to one of the birds or like tell the puppies to take it down three notches or you know hey get out of the garbage to another dog like my voice being raised to another creature sends her into a fit of oh my god I'm so sorry for the you know whatever transgressions may have happened Mm -hmm. it's and it's hysterical because when you live in my house, somebody's always getting yelled at. Like, I'd just be real honest. Even even myself, sometimes I hold myself accountable. Um, and actually, literally, in hurting this last week, I was doing something that Sue had told me repeatedly not to do. And I caught myself doing it. And I went, ah, to myself. She quit. She's like, screw this. She's like, right, done with sheep. Got to go. I'm yeah. like, god damn it. <laughs> out of here. That was that was for me, not you. And I'm like, all right, so I need my, I need, I need a different corrective tone for myself than my dog. But yeah, like, so yeah, yeah. Um, so just recognize that the things that you think should be stressful to your dog and the things that your dog thinks are stressful might not have a lot of common territory. Like they may be two vastly different things. And your job is to meet them where they're at, not where you think they should be. Awesome. Okay. So we will more or less end on that note. Just pay attention to your dog, which probably we could just say it every single podcast. Yes, pay attention to, to your dog. Pay and attention <laughs> intelligently to your dog. Don't just sit there and stare at stare them. Stare at them go, like I'm you paying, would a TV set. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> like I'm paying plan. attention. <laughs> Um, so we want to say thank you. We have five five star reviews on iTunes. I have no idea. I still can't even find us on Spotify. We're there, but I can't, I, I can't, I can't figure out Spotify. Yeah. You and me both. I cannot figure it out. (laughs) And I don't know if we have anybody with a 10 year old kid that could help us figure out Spotify. That'd be great. But if you, if you put it into the search bar, we don't show up. Somebody else's podcast does. So, uh, but thank you for the five, five star reviews. And share, 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 share. Yes. If you like it, share it, please. On Facebook or wherever you hang out. I hang out on Facebook and probably we should start giving contact information. And so I'm Empire Ridge Ranch on Facebook and that's the best way to get a hold of me. I think Emily's page is probably private and yeah. Um, Trust me, you want it that way. Yeah, no, I get it. And uh, Maggie is also not even on Facebook. So I'm kind of your primary contact guys. Sorry. Um, rate, review, subscribe, all of those things. We want to thank you all again for sticking with us. This has been kind of a And if there's crazy something you ride. want us Yeah. If there's something you want us to, you know, noodle around, um, a topic or a subject or a question or a whatever, let us know. Yeah, hook us up on Facebook because that's the only place they can let us know. <laughs> we have no we email really, or anything. <laughs> we really need to create like an Instagram account or something. We need to but, do something, but we're not that yeah. organized. So no, anyway, so right now we'll just do it on my Facebook page. That's Empire yeah. Ridge Ranch, and you can message me. This is Leanne who's talking in case we lost names a long time ago. And oh, uh, that's it. That's all we have, and we're about to get a thunderstorm anyway, and I'll probably lose power, so better to get off before I'm thrown off before you're thrown off all right well we will see you all next week and in the meantime please remember to keep your stress levels down 